Ladies and gents, thanks for joining us for the third episode of Africa Made. My name is Yannick Gaoma. I'm the co-founder of DAO and the co-host of Africa Made, which is obviously the podcast that you are tuned in to right now. So welcome. I'm here with my brothers Yanni and Francois, so I'm just going to allow them to like reintroduce themselves to you guys quickly. What's up, gents? Nice to be with you today again. Um, as you know, my name is Yanni Kreese. I am the CEO and founder of Tartletics, as well as a fashion and apparel entrepreneur. Um, as always, just amazing to be here and uh, have the privilege to create with you guys. Oh, life has things in Arizona, boy. Scottsdale. Are you guys up a lot or what? Yeah, we're good. We just <laughs> got to keep looking at the positives, keep it moving. You know how we do. Okay. So, All right. Bless. All right. Bless. Hi, Francois. Talk to the people. Hi, guys. Uh, my name is Francois Alcott. I'm a professional rugby player and lifestyle entrepreneur. It's, uh, it's great to join you guys again. Awesome, awesome, awesome. So as you guys know by now, you know, we're coming to you guys from you know, different corners of the planet, you know. Um, I'm here in Joburg, uh, in the north of Joburg. My brothers uh, are in the UK, respectively, as well as the States and Arizona. And our guest for tonight actually happens to be in the UK as well, right? So thank God for technology. Thank God for Zoom. We're able to make this thing happen and have a freaking awesome conversation, you know, um, over over God's internet, uh, or is it Steve Jobs' internet? So quickly, guys, you know, today we obviously have a special episode for you. But before I introduce our guest, let's do a quick recap of who we are, why we're here, and what we do. So we launched Africa Made uh, a few months ago as a platform that seeks to demystify greatness, specifically but not limited to the sports arena. We chat about the business of sport, we chat about lifestyle, fashion, and everything in between. To date, we've chatted to the legendary Brian Habana. You know, obviously, episode one, that was fantastic. We chatted to our brother, Francois Huchat, a.k.a. Huchi. And today, we bring another luminary to your favorite podcast in the game. Let me tell you quickly, guys, about, about our guest. Uh, so our guest is a celebrated cricket player. Uh, as a bowler, he has represented his country at all levels. He has achieved unquestionable success in the game, both locally and overseas. So you can't test this man, you know, like he's, he's been around, he's been around the block uh, for, for a minute. He's married to the glamorous Aisha Baker and they have two beautiful kids. You know, if you follow these, uh, you know, this family on uh, on IG, it will make you very broody. You also want to have a cool little fam that's fashionable, that's stylish, that's always doing cool stuff, you know? He has a sick fashion sense and seems to be an overall good oak. I, I you know, word from Francois is that he's a very good oak. So, you know, so we're looking forward to having this conversation with him. <laughs> Ladies and gents, I'm talking about Walid Wayne Ponell. Welcome to the show, Walid, uh, and thanks for joining Africa Made. Hey guys, thanks for having me. Um, really, really uh, awesome being here and uh, I'm really looking forward to it. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Yeah, so I think we're going to have a super cool conversation with you, uh, Wayne. Guys, by the way, he's giving me the permission to use his nickname. So his nickname is Pony. I don't want you guys there to feel like... Go. 
So I don't want you guys to feel like I'm being forward here. And I've been given permission, you know. So so Pani, my man, let's talk. Let's talk uh, a little bit about, you know, just your upbringing. It's, it's always cool when you're chatting to, uh, you know, to a new friend, which you are to us, uh, just to get to understand you know, just how you grew up, you know. So tell us a little bit about your childhood. Where did you grow up and how did you eventually get into cricket? It all sort of started for me um, in the northern suburbs of Port Elizabeth, um, the uh, dusty streets of Boysen Park. Nice. Um, yeah, and that's, that's kind of where, you know, I, I played my cricket, I played my soccer, I played my rugby. Um, and then from there, um, I got um, scouted by someone at, you know, Gray High School in uh, uh, Port Elizabeth. Went there for high school, and that's kind of where the cricket dream sort of uh, took off. Um, yeah, you know, obviously went through all the age groups, um, you know, playing for Eastern Province. And then uh, I was fortunate enough to represent a South Africa um, under-19 team. Um, went to the World Cup. That was obviously really special. And from there, you know, as, as a natural progression is, you know, going to the first-class system, playing for the uh, Warriors, and then got picked for the Proteas at the age of 18 or 19. And, you know, the uh, journey has been a, a long one, but it feels like it's happened over a couple of weeks. Right. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. So, I mean, uh, I've, I've personally followed your journey. Uh, I'm, I'm an overall sports fan. I love, you know, obviously football is my, you know, my, my primary obsession, you know, but I follow cricket, some rugby as well and so on and so forth. So it's been, it's been really cool to see you come up you know, like through the ranks, like over the years. So I think we're going to touch on it, you know, um, like later on, you know. So so just to like, you know, chat about those early days, you know, um, in your, in your, I guess in your life. At that time, I don't think it was a career yet, you know. Uh, we, we, we want to understand, like in those early days, how did you make that, you know, sort of like leap uh, from, you know, thinking about the sport, thinking about, you know, playing cricket and eventually get into it. So what steps did you take physically, mentally and otherwise to get to a place where this dream that you've had can actually become a reality? I think it's basically like any other youngster. You know, you you either start watching sport and then obviously fall in, in love with the game. Um and for, for me, it wasn't really cricket specifically. Um, it was more football or soccer, as, as we call it back in South Africa, obviously. Um, and actually, rugby was probably, rugby and, and cricket were probably second to uh, soccer. I, I see hockey giving a, a first pump there. Um, <laughs> and then, like, you know, I think how it sort of became a reality, this, this dream that I had of, you know, I actually didn't have this dream of playing cricket professionally or actually playing any sport professionally. I just really loved playing sport. And Okay. I think the first time I, I was playing for the Warriors, I think I'd just come back from the Under-19 World Cup in 2008. And we had a match at St. George's Park against uh, Zimbabwe, who was actually in the T20 competition that, that particular season. And I was standing at the, at the back of my mark and I, I kind of looked down and I was wearing this colorful clothing. And that's kind of where I sort of realized, I was like, whoa, like, you know, all the things that I grew up and I, I actually watched the guys playing in this uniform and now I'm standing here in this uniform and there's people shouting my name in the in the stands at uh, you know the, the mighty St. George's Park and that's kind of when I realized like oh wow this is actually um, part of all the all the sort of hard times that you know um, went previously and you know all the 
all the tears and all the blood and all the sweat um, that went into mm. it, you know, and, mm. and my, my family obviously like pushing me along and um, obviously motivating me to, you know, kind of just go, go for it really. Pony boy. Good to hear from you again as always, brother. So here's an interesting question for you, right? In those early days, who would you say was the most defining character in your life? Who mentored you and coached you to take that giant leap into professional sports? So I think uh, Christo Ieso was my, um, he ended up being my under-19 coach at Eastern Province. He, he played a massive part in my sort of early development. Because um, like we used to have this uh, winter training, uh, I think I was, I could have been about 11, 12, 13. And um, during the winter, he used to come and pick us up. So I think there were like four or five of us. Um, and every Saturday we used to go to, uh, there was a school, um, St. Thomas High School, where we used to go and we used to go, go train every single Saturday. And like, I think for, for him to sacrifice, obviously we do like take these couple of youngsters and, you know, do training with them and all of that. I think that that was kind of special. And um, even up until now, like, you know, I've been around the world. I've played in so many different leagues. I've played with so many different teams in different countries. You know, he, he he always comes up, and I and I always think back. You know, if this guy didn't have this love for this game, and this love for you know seeing people better themselves, you know, where where would I be to, uh, to today, particularly? So, mm. you know, I think he's he's definitely one. Like, if I if I had to single out one in those in those years, um, Crystal yes, is definitely one. And then obviously, like going through the ranks, you know, different people have kind of played a part. I wouldn't say that the person that's kind of been there throughout the journey. I think um, besides my, my family, I think they've been a massive help. And uh, obviously that like massive um, sort of like core, you know what I mean? Because at the end of the day, whether I was a, a successful cricketer or just some average guy, you know, they, they will still love me unconditionally. Well, hopefully anyway. <laughs> um, you know what I mean? So like that's the thing that um, whether you a successful businessman or athlete. Um, I think family and, and friends sort of form your core. Um, yeah, so, so for, for me, I would I'd probably say like family would be number one. And then obviously Crystal in those, in those early years. You know, that's obviously amazing to hear. Um, you know, what's, what strikes me is in my time playing sport and speaking to a lot of athletes and like-minded individuals, what, what is kind of crazy is there's always this almost like mentor or coach that, like you said, just has a love for the game and almost nothing to gain, like you said. So in my case, I mean, I wasn't a big cricketer. I played soccer, but when I was in school, I played cricket and I had this coach that we absolutely loved. He was an Afrikaans guy called Mr. Sneeman. And I loved him so much um, because he had that, you know, just that pure love for the sport. And like you said, they take a chance just like because they love the sport and it ends up with something amazing. Um, he's probably not celebrated. He's not a major coach. He doesn't earn major money or whatever. But it's amazing to see how he could really change your life. So with Mr. Sneeman, um, I remember we had one like whatever league we were in or whatever and it was his birthday and I remember um, I asked him what do you want for your birthday and he's like oh I love beer 
So I was 14 and, you know, I didn't really know the do's and don't. I don't even know what beer is. In the morning I arrived, my mom dropped, I like snuck a, I put a, a can of beer in the boot and my mom dropped me off at school. And when I got out, had the beer man and she like lost it. She's like, what are you doing? I said, no, Mr. Snowman said he likes beer. So... <laughs> I was, about, man, that. I was about to walk into grade eight with, um, you know, 8 a.m. with a can of beer, bottle of beer. It's just ridiculous because that love is blinding, like you said. So, you know, he had nothing to gain, but he had literally a massive impact, you know, on your career. So just incredible, really. Um, let me ask you this question now, right? So we spoke about mentors and coaches. Were there specific athletes that you took inspiration from growing up and sort of led you in cricket or, you know, in sport? So obviously there are some cricketers that I, you know, admired growing up. Um, I think Wazi Makram is a, a Pakistani legend. He's one guy that I particularly looked up when I was a lot younger. Um, but actually it was more like cricket wasn't my first love. So it's actually athletes from, from other sports. Um, right. So for me, like uh, football, obviously being big, uh, I'm a Manchester United fan. Um, Boo! <laughs> oh yeah, we go. Yeah, Super we League. Go. Up the gunners. Up no, the gunners. We are not. We're not going to the Super League. You're That's going it. in the Super um, League, brother. It's done deal. <laughs> Your team was yeah, one so of then the like, first people um, to sign up to the Super League. That's '99 table winning team. That was. <laughs> Come on, man. These Americans need to get out of it now, please. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so, um, yeah, like I, like I mentioned, I think that uh, 99 treble winning Manchester United team, that was one that I, I actually followed that, that season like very closely. Um, and then even like uh, rugby, the, the Crusaders, like in the, in the early 2000s, mm. they were like, I really loved them. Yeah, they were cool. Because they, they used to dominate. Um, yeah, and I think like, I think those two teams actually like kind of made me fall in love with sport because um, I saw like what sport could do like for like, you know, how it up uplifted me basically. Like when I was feeling down, you know, Saturday morning, I'd wake up mm -hmm. early and, sw and mm -hmm. switch on uh, super sport and, you know, watch uh, super rugby. I think it was like super 40 or 12 or something. And that's, that's really cool. Tell you know, us. As a, as super 12, 14, 8. Yeah, what year was that? I'm not too sure, but the Crusaders team we played against uh, 2010 was mighty, mighty fine. I mean, that had Richie McCaw, Dan Carter, all of their stars. So I think that was actually one of their best, yeah, Crusader teams of all time. Um, but yeah, we luckily managed to beat them twice in that year. So we played them yeah. obviously in the normal round and then we played them in semifinals and that was still a massive, massive game. Yeah, let's hope rugby can get back to that point, man. I remember those Loftus games, Ellis Park game were insane. I used to watch oh. the Cats even. Yeah, one of the most special things I can remember was, um, you know, going up to like when it got close to semifinals, people used to camp outside Loftus to get tickets and... You know, it's when you think back to that time and, and you look at it now, it's 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 almost as if you wish things could go back to that time because Scary, we man. used to go we used to go up to practices and you would see thousands of people in a queue waiting to buy tickets to see you play on the Saturday, which was 
it's it's not something you can describe. I'm sure Wayne can can say the same thing playing whether for the national team or IPL or you know playing in front of those crowds and and people thousands and thousands of people are just there to support you. It's it's something that you have to experience being there, you know, on that journey itself. So mm. I think it was yeah, it was unbelievable experience. So Wayne, my brother, it is, uh, it's great to see you again. The last time I saw you was, um, we had coffee. I actually looked at yeah. the photo the other day. Uh, we had a nice little catch up, um, over coffee. Uh, like you mentioned just now, you've been all over the world in various teams. You've been, um, exp- you've, you've experienced different, you know, thousands of different cultures, um, what was your experience like playing for these different teams and how was that experience for you? So like for me, I'm a, a big lover of people actually and um, especially people from like different backgrounds and stuff and I, I really find that quite fascinating where I can go into a different country and like you know, meet people who have completely different stories and I think like that's like cool thing about meeting people is that like everyone has such a unique story to tell about you know where they come from and like all of that so um I've, I've been lucky you know when i've gone from the caribbean all the way to canada all the way down to uh, new zealand um so my journey's kind of been everywhere and i've and i've really mixed with some really really cool people over these years um and i think that's probably one special thing that i can take away from my career i mean you would you would know this as well like how we are in south africa Versus like when you go to Australia and see how people interact there. Or now that you're playing rugby in the UK, like the guys over here are completely different as well. So like that's a cool thing is like coming into a different environment, um, trying to obviously uh, leave your, your own personal mark, um, you know, but also trying to fit in and kind of blend in, you know, seamlessly. I think that's, that's my thing that I really enjoy is going into a new environment. Uh, not taking too much from the environment, like giving and, you know, learning from, from how people are. And also, I think the a big thing is just to experience it, to enjoy that journey, enjoy that, the time you have with those people, because obviously like you, you, you guys know, you never know when, the, you know, when that ends. So to kind of take in all those special memories, you know, to take it in and make the most of it. Yeah. Flip, I mean, it, like, um, like I said, I've been playing professionally for, I think like 12 or 13 years, but it honestly feels like I just started playing the other week. 100%. I'm, I've been on a similar journey, been playing for about 12, 13 years professional now. So I know exactly what you mean, going all over the world, playing in Australia, New Zealand, um, Italy, um, Argentina, and they are all such different places and cultures and and. It's it's like you say to sit back and just experience those different type of cultures is is it's unbelievable. You kind of you are so lucky that you actually do get to not just travel to these countries but to you know to kind of get into the culture and see what it's really about. Spot on. So if I'm correct, you uh, you started representing SA at a very young age. You captained the under nineteen national team at um, the Cricket World Cup. What does it mean to don those nation to don the nation colours um, on an international stage? Like I said, um, obviously the under 19s firstly. Um, so I, I played in the under 19 World Cup in 2006 as well, um, and just going there, like you know, again, like 
I, I got to the world, it was in Sri Lanka in 2006. And you're like, wow, it's so cool. Like, and like, for me, I'm a, a real student of, of sport. You know, when I went to the World Cup, I already knew that like, you know, in the previous editions, like who represented. So you had like A.B. de Villiers was playing. Um, Hashim Amla played in this year. He, he did that. Um, you know, Mark Boucher played in this year. He did that. All of, like, so I know all of these things. And when I got there and it was like, this is really cool. And then two years later in 2008 in Malaysia, then I was captain. And that, that was really special for me because obviously, um, you know, being among that list of guys who've captained their country, you know, firstly at that under-19 World Cup was really nice. Um, and then also like moving away from that and, you know, playing for the, for the pro tiers as well, which is probably every uh, cricketer's dream, basically. You know, and I've, and I've done it a number of times. And, and every time that I put on the jersey, I've always like kind of thought back, like, you know, when I was a kid, like watching uh, the 96 World Cup or the uh, 99 World Cup, you know, with John T. Rhodes taking that catch and all, all that type of stuff. So like, it's, it's so crazy because as a kid, you, you don't realize where this thing can kind of take you. You know what I mean? And then you like mm. end up in that position and you, you kind of take a, you have to take a step back and actually appreciate that because those are like moments that are now etched in um, history, basically. 100%. I've actually been lucky enough to, well, it's not, it wasn't really a game. It's more, um, like you say, friendly, but, you know, to play for the Springboks against the Proteas. It was and a it, game. It was a full-on game. It was competitive. Yeah, <laughs> but, I mean, if you guys think it's... about, you know, 80, 80% or so. <laughs> but I, if you guys took it serious, I mean, I don't think it would have been a competition, but that was also, that was an unbelievable experience. And, you know, I think a lot of the guys are nervous before the times. Obviously, a lot of fun and, you know, playing in front of people, but that was also one of the special memories you know, just to play against you guys and uh, obviously being mates with a lot of you guys, that was uh, definitely a very, very special memory for us. Let me yeah. ask a question. Who is the best Springbok cricketer that played let, in that let, let, let me jump in here. <laughs> so one well, guy that I you, actually you saw... Take, oh, he did take a couple of catches, I, I think, in that, in that game. Uh, just I, catches. I, I did. I, I actually one, two one sixes. I did, but the a bowler took it easy. Well. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I think well, it's, like, one, one it's funny batter. because like a, a, like a lot of the guys rate themselves and like you could see like, you know, they, they're obviously a lot physically bigger than cricketers. So um, yeah. I think, you know, getting the, the sort of timing and the sort of uh, technique of, you know, playing cricket is, is a little bit difficult, but the power was, was definitely there though. They, uh, they should be the T20 cricketers. Let me quickly jump in. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I'm not the best cricketer. I don't, uh, I'm not going to say I am because I know I'm not. But one guy that I know is an all-round baller. He's, I think he's pretty good at every, you know, sporting code. Is Vali Larue. And he took an unbelievable catch on the boundary, one end. It was going to oh, be a yes. six, but I remember that, yeah. he's, um, I would say he's... Willie Larue, obviously huh? Victor Matt, Yeah, Victor Matfield on them. Obviously, massive ballers too, but I think Vili is one of the top guys. That's awesome. So, guys, we, speaking of SA, uh, <laughs> I just want to go back to, like, a really terrible moment in our history. Uh, so, Pony, if you recall, in 1999, obviously, you would remember this, we were on the verge of qualifying for the final of the Cricket World Cup. We had Alan Donald and Lance Klusner out there. I think they literally had 
maybe like, um, uh, I think they had almost like a full over just to get us over the line and they got run out by, by the Australian team. So let me paint the picture for you. I'm in high school, um, I think I'm 99, I think I'm like 15, 16 years old or whatever. I've bought into this, you know, sport that was never familiar to me. You know, Madiba did this amazing job of, you know, via the Madiba Magic and the Rainbow Nation narrative, he sold us all the sporting codes. You know, 1995, we all became rugby fans. You know, uh, after that, we came, became cricket fans. We supported the Proteas. And then in 1999, that thing happened, you know, where we just, you know, you know, Alan and, uh, and Lance just like, you know, well, it was most, mostly Alan Donald, and they just messed it up. And we couldn't go to the finals. We were probably going to beat Pakistan. I promise you, I was heartbroken to the point where I actually boycotted cricket for a couple of years. <laughs> like, I was like... Jeez. This is why I should stick to football. You know what I mean? Like, you know, I won't get hurt like this, but I was totally, totally devastated. And I think I speak for millions of South African fans, you know. So so I just wanted to ask you, man, you know, what has, what do you think has prevented such an amazing cricketing nation, uh, uh, cricket nation like South Africa from actually winning the Cricket World Cup? I just don't understand it. Like, what's the reason? What do you think hinders us from, you know, like lending this prize? So it's a it's a question that I actually hear often, and it's a very difficult one. If I if I knew the answer, I'd definitely retire now and and consult <laughs> for the Proteas, you know, because because there are a couple of World Cups coming up now. So, um, but I I think like from that '99 World Cup, we've kind of I think that was the big one. And then like since then, every other World Cup, something's happened. So I think in 2003, it was the Duckworth Lewis thing. Um, I think in 2007, I think we just really we were beat by a really good Australian team who obviously went on to win the World Cup. Um, in 2011, we got beat by New Zealand. Um, but like a freakish game as well, like the way that our guys went out and then 2015, the New Zealand semi-final again. Um, again, like you kind of felt like we were, we were in with a shout and then like McCullum came out firstly and just like smashed it everywhere and then obviously we kind of got back into the game and then it was like, um, there was a, a catch that kind of went up and then, you know, just, just quite wasn't there and then we ended up losing. So like, it almost feels like when we get closer to the, those like big moments, um, mm -hmm. something happens, whether the opposition just like do something differently or, you know, and I, I think we just, we just need one. We, we need one world cup to just kind of, you know, set it up, you know, like with rugby, for instance, like uh, 95, obviously like once you've done it once, it's like, it's like anything in life, right? Yeah. You think like, wow, for me to run 10 kilometers is impossible because it's so far. Then you do it once. And then like, and you actually like this is so easy you know so mm. it's it's about getting over the first hill basically and I think it's the same thing with like rugby even though it was like years later when we won the second one you still kind of like we have done this before mm. so it's not mm. impossible you know what I mean mm. so like mm. you have even though like the guys didn't play they have a like reference point you know yeah. what I mean so like Absolutely. I think that's the thing that's missing with cricket is that there's no reference you know, mm. because we haven't won it yet. So, like, mm. you can't mm. be like, oh, you know, but back in 99 or back in this year, 
the guys did it. Mm. You know, whereas mm. like if you look at great sporting nations in in all sports, you know they've done it once and then they they just keep doing it again and again and again. Mm. I think, I think Wait, also at that, at that level, it comes down to small margins. You know, like when you're from somewhere, you have you can deny it as much as you like. There's a little bit of bias, mm. right? And growing up playing soccer, you'd always think, oh, why can't Bafana Bafana win a tournament? We're good. Like, I know good players and we're good or whatever. Guys, on a global scale, there's no issue. Like, I'm sure there's issues with development, but like the players just aren't good enough. It's a fact. Mm. The level is not there. So do you think that SA cricket really is, you know, where it should be or do you think that it's not? That's a, a great question, actually. And I mean, like, look at the IPL. Like, we have a lot of players playing in the IPL. Um, and that's, for me, probably the best league in the, in the world. So, mm. like, there's a core of our guys playing in that. And they have been playing in that for the last, I think it's been going for 11 years now. So if you look at every IPL season, we've had probably at least four, five, maybe even six guys, and some seasons even more. So in terms of the actual talent, I think we're right up there. Um, but as a collective, as like a squad, you know, there's that something's missing. I don't know what it's it is. It's a bit like, of like an, England's football team. Like there's just... Yeah, basically. Literally, like if you look at, you know, um, teams that have, Cup, and you're like, wow, look at this midfield, Gerard, Lampard, Skulls. And you're like, you know, defense, Who's that? Who, like, who did you say? Skulls, what? Come on, Skulls is a world class. <laughs> <laughs> I got you me? there, bro. This is like not even a, a, a debate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that's a, like, that's the crazy part is like, mm. individually, we have such talented guys, but like, you know, as a collective, and we've, you know, this whole chokers tag has always come up in every World Cup. And like, I've, I've been fortunate enough to go to two uh, different 50 ever World Cups and even T20 World Cups as well. I've been to a few. And, you know, like one year we're like, oh no, we're just going to take it on. You know, if journalists keep asking about this chokers tag, we're going to take it on. We're going to answer them. We're going to tell them, you know. Mm-hmm. Then like the next one would be like, we're, gonna, we're not answering anything on, on that. You know, and then so I think like, it's got to do it the then, coaching way. Like, let's be real: all the Springbok coaches that won World Cups are like, if you ask the players, they just like this guy is amazing. Like, hmm. you gotta, you also got to look at the coaches, I guess. You know, I don't know. Like, the, 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 well, that's what I'm saying is, if I if I had the uh, formula, you know, that like one percent, because we've we've had really good coaches. Um, We've had Gary Kirsten was there. We've had uh, Russell Domingo was there. And personally, for me, out of all the, the coaches I've worked with, he's probably got the least amount of credentials in, in terms of not having played international cricket or having played a lot of first-class cricket. But in terms of uh, being able to like manage people, like for me, I, I thought he was the best guy. Um, not to not to take away from anyone else who's, who I obviously worked with, who were all world-class in in different ways. Um, but it's like, yeah, I don't know. Like, like I said, I think personally, we just need one, and once we get one, we'll we'll get a few. Mm-hmm. I think I think it boils down to what you actually said earlier. You know, um, you know when you just get over that hurdle and you nab that first one, and it applies in business. Um, you think a million is a lot of money until you make the first million. Then when you made the first million, you're dreaming about ten bar. 
And you finally get to Tampa. Now you're dreaming about 100 bar. Like, every win locks another win and a bigger win, you know? So at some point, it's a, I feel like it's a mental thing. I personally don't agree with the premise of uh, Yanni's questions. I do think we have, you know, insanely talented cricket players. Uh, but what has just happened, you know, is almost similar. If you follow football, it's almost similar to the Dutch national team. Uh, the Dutch national team has never won the World Cup and they've produced literally some of the most groundbreaking football players. Johan Cruyff is arguably like top five, dead or alive, you know, like he invented styles, he invented systems, you know, as a player, as a coach, etc. How is it that the Dutch national team has never won the World Cup? You know what I mean? And to this day, Ajax Amsterdam, even though they sell they sell their players, you know, after, you know, a few years, they sell them to the bigger teams. They're still a legendary team. They've won four Champions League, if I'm not, if, uh, Champions Leagues, if I'm not mistaken. But somehow at that national stage, it's just that something that just blocks them. So I think it's a mental thing. Uh, maybe we need to bring in, you know, um, you know, I don't know, like some sort of like special mind coaches or whatever the case might be. I'm sure the guys have thought about it. Uh, maybe they need to bring in Wendy Rhodes. I don't know if you guys watch Billions. Uh, Wendy Rhodes needs to come, you know, give these guys a few prep talks. Uh, she's mad lit, but she unlocks Oaks. You know what I mean? Just like super, super unlocks them, you know? So I think maybe that's what's needed, like just to like get us over the line because I do believe we have some of the best cricketing talent in the world. I agree with you. I think also one thing about a World Cup and Wayne can come here, I think it's so cutthroat. I think it's, you have one opportunity and you might not be on form that day. And obviously, you know, if you've done the prep and everyone can say, you know, if you've done the prep and, and you know, you're playing well as a team and this and this, but you literally have one opportunity. And if you miss out on the semi-final, quarter-final, whatever, that's it. There's no... That's it, you know, you, you're knocked out of another World Cup. You're out. But small, yeah. small margins, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Especially when it comes to World, uh, World Cup, because I think every team in the World Cup, you know, produces, you know, world-class performances. It's just what sets mm. you apart from mm. that mm. other team or, you know, mm. the Your All opponents. Blacks or yeah. Yeah, England in rugby and yeah. you know in in Petia's sake so absolutely i love how i love how there's you know there's parallels between sport and business and sport and life and this is part of the reason we've created africa made part of the reason that we created dow so just quickly uh uh pani just let's talk about the business of of cricket a bit you know because that's also what this podcast is about so if you're a young guy trying to get into uh <clears throat> Uh, into sports overall. So let's say you are this old rounder, you know, at uh, at Gray High School. You went to Gray High School, right? Um, and you're probably playing really well in rugby. Probably playing really well in cricket. And maybe teams are looking to like recruit you, or colleges are looking to recruit you. But I really wanna know about the business of cricket versus rugby. How much money can a young man expect to make? in a 10 to 15 year career uh, in cricket, especially if they go on to represent their country, you know? Can you break that business of cricket a bit, you know? Uh, whether it's from just like how, how you know, teams pay players locally versus overseas, uh, you know, the endorsements and just 
that arena from a business perspective uh if you are if there's a young person that's listening to this podcast and they're trying to choose between let's say rugby or cricket or football why should they choose cricket from a business perspective so i think the one positive thing about cricket is um the fact that you know you you end up playing in like different countries so i think in terms of networking that's that's one big positive um and also the type of countries that you end up playing in you know the the funny thing is like the subcontinent is probably where most of the of the money gets generated and that's just purely based on the on the on the fans that they have and the the number of people um so that's the one thing but i think in terms of like you know cricket being your career or your profession um you have to be playing internationally um yeah. i think to to actually make a like decent living Yeah. And then from there, you know, like which is really lucky now for like a lot of youngsters coming up now is all these T20 leagues. Um mm, mm, if mm. you can be in the, in those leagues, obviously not not everyone can get in because as um as foreigners, you know, most te- most leagues I think are about three or four foreigners per so there's a quota, uh, right? And maybe in a in a squad you might have like six, six, seven. So to actually be and obviously that's counting all all nations. So to financially um get in there uh, is is obviously lucrative and uh, very beneficial as well um but on the flip side it's it's not that easy but it's it's the same with anything with with any, any business you know if you go into something that's already there it's about competing and um trying to you know get your brand to be a little bit different from what's already out there and i think that's that's kind of the uh, challenge of, of like how you want to position yourself basically Mm-hmm. um yeah but i mean you know you you your like cricket career is what i mean if you start at the age of 20 21 you can play to about 35 if you like in good nick and you know feeling good and physically mm-hmm. um fine mm-hmm. some guys go a bit further than that and a bit longer spin bowlers like i think imran tayer must be in his 40s now and he's still running around mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. so yeah it's, it's just about i think it's about you know you you have to because sport these days is a is a business so you have to you have to merge the two yes yeah. it's, it's not like you know 20 years ago where like you just you know on a on a weekend you just rock up play a little bit of sport and like you know have a few drinks with the, the guys afterwards and like end up going home yeah uh, these days you know it's big big money i mean yeah. cricket's still a way off i think from like sports like rugby and even, uh, obviously football is on a on a like different um plane mm. but i think cricket slowly catching up i think mm. we touched on that on the in the previous episode just about having that fine balance between growing your own brand and focusing on what's in most important and making the two work and obviously from there on transitioning into into business you know i mean obviously like i um i've followed you um for a number of of years and i i really love your brand because your brand is a mixture of you know because when people think of Ranchohad they think rugby firstly right but i've actually met people who asked me like hey do you do you know this guy actually at uh, when when i was playing at Worcestershire county uh, cricket club you know like obviously because i'm south african so they're like hey do you do you, do you know Francois Huga we must be friends because like, we're from south like, africa oh, Fra- <laughs> Francois Huga it's like yeah, yeah yeah and i'm like yeah i actually know i met him a couple of times like we chat even now and then yeah yeah cool and they like oh i really love him like 
he's, he's got such good style and like I like what he does away from sport and that for me is is really key because in the sporting arena you're known for a particular skill right but once you're done playing you know you you want people to still remember who you are and what you're about and for me that's something that I've really um tried to take on board and I think in the early parts of my career I was probably more just like cricket 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 but yeah. when I met my wife um she was like you know what like there's there's more to you because like when you're not on the cricket field like I see this other part of you that's like really nice and mm. it's interesting mm. and mm. Yeah. it's something that you should you should really show people as well and I think she's really encouraged me a lot to kind of bring that mm. side out um because it puts it, things it's in perspective always been there but it's just something that you you, you must feel because of where we are in South Africa and the like, type of nation we have you know where we like we have to be very like schoolboy type you know what i mean yeah, so yeah. like um to kind of <laughs> see people who are a little bit out there like even oki like tattoos and like you know the way he dresses it's cool <laughs> yes it's cool like everywhere in the world but when you go to South africa it's like mm. why is he why does he have tattoos yeah, so, you know why does he have this haircut why does he do this with his you know what i'm saying so like yeah. for me that's something i've realized as well is like you know what, at the end of the day just be yourself and do what makes you happy. Absolutely. I, th- I think that's uh, what you said has actually made me really appreciate uh, Francois' brand. Uh, you know, because even Brian mentioned it in episode one. He's like, you know, uh, Francois has always been a bit of a, you know, uh, trendsetter. Like, you know, with the tats, with the lifestyle, you know, with the whips, you know, he's the OBJ, OBJ of, uh, of uh, South African rugby. You know, he's, he's swagged up, you know, and... Uh, you trying, know. my brother, we're trying. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot, like I said, there, there are more people who are that way inclined, but they really scared to tap into it because... You know, they kind of worried about the backlash and stuff. And at the end of the day, like you said, like, you know, your your life is short, your career is short. Like, hmm. just just go with Do it. You. you know what I mean? If you if you're into fancy things, why not why not show people that you like fancy things? You know, why why must you hide it? You know what I mean? 100%. Like I, I I don't get this thing where people are like so shy to like, you know, show who they really are and the things that they like. Because we're I all would- different. I would like to look at from a, a place of for motivational purposes only, not to brag and to yeah. think that's what people think, but to look at it from, you know, to inspire people is not to brag about certain things. I'm, I've got a massive passion for cars, but that doesn't mean that I'm trying to throw it in everyone's face and say, Oh, I can afford this or I've got this and this and this. It's more, to say that I've worked hard, I can treat myself. And if you do that, you can also afford these things. If you are into cars, maybe it's watches, maybe it's something completely different. Mm. Everyone's not the same, you know? That's a great point, actually. And it's, I think ultimately what it, what it boils down to for, for me is the fact that like, if people don't, or people that are not in your circle, they're only seeing something, you know, they will interpret it their way, right? And then like the people who know you and have met you and kind of have interacted with you, they'll be like, no, this is who this guy is. You know what I mean? And like, I think that's the fine balance as well with like social media. And that uh, these days is, is the fact that like, you know, people just see something and without knowing a backstory really to it. Um, and sometimes it, it can come off the wrong way, but as long as your intention is, is good, like you're saying now, you, you want to be aspirational. You know what I mean? And you, you want people to as, aspire to that um, sort yeah. of lifestyle or things that, that you like. 
um, then that's obviously done in a like really tasteful manner. But at the end of the day, there's always going to be one or two that kind of don't like it. You know what I mean? Throws you under the bus. You just have to take it with a pinch of salt. Yeah, 100%. Let's talk about um, this new European Super League that was unveiled just about oh, two days ago. So, so cricket <laughs> seems to be ahead of the curve in that regard. And obviously, this is, has been a big disruptor to the football industry. Would you agree that cricket is forward thinking in that regard already with, you know, the different 2020 formats? Um, do you think, you know, like the IPL has made the game more interesting? Do you think that the youth are following more because of that? I mean, you know, the youth are, we're so used to instant gratification. No one's going to watch a test match. So yeah. what, how do you, what's your take on this? I think, I think obviously, you know, uh, business people run sport. Basically. Oh, it's a mafia. So, I mean, yeah. You, so, like, but, uh, even with like cricket as well, with all these <laughs> leagues, you know, it's firstly it's about trying to find um, slots in the calendar to like have them, and then I think it's about then trying to get obviously as a as a particular product that you're trying to sell. So, say for instance, we want to sell a South African T20 league. You know, you make sure that's in the cool spot. So, like. I think like November, December is a good spot for us, but then you also want to try and get your best players available. And I think that's, that's obviously part of the, um, the like draw card, you know what I mean? So it's about trying to get the biggest stars, the biggest names to be available to play in your, in your product. And obviously financially, then you, you have to back that up because, you know, Hoke is not, not going to get out of bed for, for a couple of peanuts. <laughs> No, it's got to make sense, eh? It's got to make sense. Yeah, I mean, interesting times, to say the least. Let's see what happens next. I mean, these guys are mafia, you know. Uh, the Don at Real Madrid is seem- seemingly calling the shots. And, um, you know, that's Nick's favorite guy. Obviously, I'm a Madrid fan, but I'm, I'm a big fan of bosses, you know. I'm a big fan of people that are able to, like, take a bull by its horns, you know. So uh, in this case, there's, you know, there's merit on both sides. Uh, obviously, we're talking about the, you know, European Super League or the Super League or whatever. I can see both sides and I can see why they wanted to do this, you know, guys, because it's business. Uh, and from a pragmatic point of view, if you look at the balance sheets of the major teams, they are drowning in debt. I was looking at Juventus' balance sheet the other day. Don't ask me why. But I think they are sitting on like, uh, you know, a, a, a negative uh, cash position of like 500 million euros, like negative cash position. Obviously, COVID has, you know, hit, you know, these teams and not just in football, but in a lot of other, you know, industries, uh, business overall, that's, you know, it's impacted everyone really, really like harshly, you know. So you can understand where the guys were coming from. But obviously, the way they're going about it, they're going about it in a very almost like dictatorial sort of way, no consultation, very mafia style. And then I guess that's what they're used to doing, you know. So uh, it's an interesting thing. I just I just peeped now like a news alert that Chelsea Chelsea and Man City uh, are withdrawing from the from the Super League, uh, which means probably the other English teams will follow suit. It's just 
it's 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 a mess. It's a mess. It's very interesting. Uh, so I think your team, uh, Manchester United, will probably be the last man standing in the Super League. You know, because Man United is all about cash money, Benjamins. At the end of the day, as a fan of the sport, I mm. don't want to see Manchester United playing uh, Real Madrid on a random Wednesday night. You know, I want to see them playing them like you know once a year in the Champions League. You know, once we obviously get back into the Champions League. Um, <laughs> yeah. you know, so that's that's kind of what I want to see like I don't want to see um, all these like big teams playing each other like every single week because those are the special nights you know in, in sport it's like mm. say like that's with the Tri-Nations for instance like having all those teams playing each other every single week it's no like have a window where the, the best teams are playing each other and that's it you know what I mean yeah absolutely to have this league nah I'm just against it Absolutely. But yeah, guys, change is inevitable. Um, it might might only it might always be sweet or fun. Uh, if you look at European soccer as well or football, there's been a lot of changes over the decades. The, the formats have changed, you know, from uh, the Cup Winners Cup to European Cup. Things actually really do change. Uh, and I personally, on this matter, the one thing that really, really you know, uh, I, I find very abhorrent is that you have this group of men, uh, I think they're all white men, that are part of UEFA, uh, all these old white men dictating how European football should be like. And they have a virtual monopoly on football, same thing as FIFA, you know. So what gives those federations the power, their rights, uh, to be able to call the shots on every aspect of football. Uh, you know what I mean? Like UEFA has allowed the likes of Qatar and, you know, all of these, you know, weird people to like come into fo- uh, into sport by teams like PSG, Man City, et cetera, et cetera. You know, some of these guys are like from, you know, countries that don't respect human rights, you know? So how is that okay? How is that right? Don't you think football has already been compromised? You know, like, you know, the-, the Long ago. Like long ago. And it's, it's you know, you're, there's, there's no, that's what I'm saying, there's no right side. So there is no right for, side. It's just yeah. a newer version of the same trick. Of course. And, and that's why it's a titanic battle and, you know, so I think as fans, we also need to think about it that, okay, you know, so year for cool, we like Champions League, but what are you doing to help end racism? And we're not just talking about a tweet, but what are you doing? What are you doing to help, you know, the football academies in Africa where, you know, you, you know, your Sadio Mane's come from, your, you know, your Ubers or whatever come from? Are you helping those nations out? Are you assisting? You know, you can't just be like tweeting about stuff, you know? So, so I think if, if the Super League doesn't go through, we also need to hold UEFA to account, you know, because these guys are essentially running a monopoly and no one holds them to account, you know, and and I think that needs to change because football is actually no longer the pure sport that we thought it was, you know, maybe in the 60s or 70s, you know. So so I, that's my that's my last say on this. That's my last word on this, you know, so we'll see how it goes. All right. Let's chat about something, um, Pony, my boy, that I know you got a big love for uh, fashion. Uh, we obviously all follow you on Instagram. And we know you love your threads. Uh, how would you describe your personal style? And in the same sentence, what is your most favorite brand? 
Yeah, so my style is kind of a little bit of everything. Like um, I'm most comfortable just being in a in a hoodie and some some sweats. Uh, that's probably like being at home. Go pair of kicks. Um, yeah, like I I enjoy my sneakers as well. I think like obviously these days, you know, trying to get your your hands on some sneakers is um, a really really tough thing. Um, but fashion has always been part of me. I think it's. Um, Something that, like like I mentioned earlier, like I've I always used to enjoy it, but I was a bit shy to kind of put it out there. And I think I've just put it out. Um, yeah, and it's it's really about where I where I go and you know kind of get influenced by people around me and my environment and stuff like that. And and to, to answer the other part of your um, question there with regards to brands, I think have, it changes as well. I mean, obviously, the like streetwear brands, uh, like Off White, um, Supreme is pretty cool. Um, mm. You know, a couple of other designers, which I'm not going to mention there, because, like you said, you don't want to be seen to be uh, bragging. Um, <laughs> yeah, but it's about like trying to just um, find the the thing that kind of makes you feel feel good, basically. I think personally, I know um, a brand that's going to be one of your favorite brands, uh, the one we involved on, in, Tau Athletics. <laughs> will be one of no, your most I've favorite actually, brands. I've been, I've been seeing little snippets. I've, I've been seeing snippets. I'm actually really looking forward to it. Yeah, it's going to be... Uh, one, I don't want to say too much, but it's going to be uh, something... The movement and, and, and the threads is going to be something people haven't seen before. So it's going to be sick. Give the fans what, what they want, eh? Give the fans what they want. That's 100%. it. Absolutely. So, yo, man, Wayne, Pony, Pony, my man, thanks so much for making the time uh, today. We've had one or two small little technical glitches. Uh, we did say we are all coming from uh, different corners of the world, but we really appreciate uh, your time. If it was up to us, we would have a three-hour conversation, <laughs> you know? So, you know, so we really, really enjoyed the chop, man. Uh, and yeah, so we really wish you all the success with, uh, you know, with your cricketing career. Um, you know, you mentioned Oaks that are still going in their 40s. I think you still have a healthy 10 years to go in the game. Uh, but even <laughs> even beyond that, you know, we've seen we've seen how you move. I think I think there's uh, there's a lot that uh, that's on the horizon. So we really thank you for your time, my man. So your shout out uh, and yeah, we really appreciate for you to come through. Oh, you're most welcome. Thank you for having me. Um, it's been a really cool chat. Um, I think it's always nice to just have an informal chat about kind of everything sports related, business related. And I'm really excited for where, where you guys are going as well. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward uh, to, to seeing what fire you guys come up with. My <laughs> eyes will be peeled onto the socials. <laughs> Absolutely. 100%. Seeing Absolutely. as you are still in the UK, I will be seeing you some other time for coffee again, my man. It's great yeah, to see you Yeah, definitely. Catch up soon, for sure. Thanks. All righty, gents. Thank you so much. Awesome, Sweet. awesome. So just a parting word. Just a parting word to our people out there. So make sure you uh, uh, you follow us on the socials. Uh, we are Dow Athletics on Twitter. We are Dow Athletics on Instagram. Uh, you know, just yeah, make sure you're following the accounts. Tell everybody about them. The Dow uh, drop uh, season one, drop one is about to like hit the streets. So yeah, keep uh, keep following and see what's up. And thanks for tuning in. We'll see you guys on the fourth episode of Africa. Mate. Salute.